Yes, Buck fans, this is the podcast that takes you back through all the best games, moments, and players in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the BuckPower.com podcast. Now, here's the unofficial team historian and your host from BuckPower.com, it's Paul Stewart. This is a BuckPower.com podcast with a difference. We're not going to focus on a particular game this time, but a particular player. Because with all the names in the Ring of Honor at Raymond James Stadium, there is one name that is missing, James Wilder. And for those recent Buccaneer fans who only know the Tom Brady's and the Mike Evans and think back to some of the older names like Leroy Selma but didn't know much about them, all I can tell you is that James Wilder is the greatest offensive player in Buccaneer history. And joining me to hopefully confirm that opinion is a long-term Buccaneer writer and contributor to BuckPower.com and his podcast, Dennis Crawford. Uh, the one thing I would like to add is that I don't believe James Wilder is the greatest offensive player in Buck's history. I think he's the greatest football player in Buccaneer history. And growing up in the uh, Tampa Bay area in the 80s um, and getting to see the peak of his career, he was literally the one shining beacon in a vortex of misery for those Buccaneers in the 80s. And um, he was like Chuck Norris to me. I mean, it's uh, just like Chuck Norris. I mean, you know, death once had a James Wilder experience. You know, he's, he was that tough. I mean, James Wilder could strangle you with a cordless phone. It was just amazing to watch him play. And, and none other than Lawrence Taylor said that James Wilder was the most difficult running back he ever had to face because he could run like Dickerson, but he had the power of an Earl Campbell. And that's an amazing combination. So James Wilder joined the Buccaneers in 1981. He was a second round draft pick out of Missouri, where he'd led them to three bowl games. He became known as the Sickerson train from the high school he attended. And the Bucs in the first round drafted Hugh Green that year. Those are two pretty good draft picks for one season. And for those of you who aren't really into college football and um, with loving deference to one of my best friends, Susan Gage, who is a proud alum of Missouri's journalism school, Missouri football is about as anonymous as you can get. And James Wilder led Missouri to three consecutive bowl games. And this is in the late 70s when there weren't 47 bowl games the way there are now. And so that Missouri went to three straight bowl games, basically riding his back, kind of gave you a hint to how Tampa Bay was going to utilize him once he graduated. So Wilder's first season, he started all 16 games, but they were at fullback. Because in those days, John McKay always had a two-back offense, his famous I-formation he brought from USC, and it was continuing into the early 80s. So starting at Tailbrook was Jerry Eckwood. He had a unfortunately ill Ricky Bell, whose career was going downhill, but we didn't know why at the time, and James Owens. So Wilder was the fullback. He was still the second-leading receiver on the team that season in receptions. And that was the, the, the perfect running back, I think, for John McKay. McKay had predicated his offense around the running backs and the tight ends. And so you had Jimmy Giles at tight end, 
all pro pro bowler, but he had bad luck with the tailbacks. You know, Jimmy Dubose looked like he could have been the guy, then he blew out his knee. Ricky Bell had that one amazing season in 79, but then tragically starts to weaken rapidly from disease that would take his life. But in James Wilder, you finally found the perfect running back for McKay's backfield-oriented offense. He could block, he could be a lead rusher, but then he was also very dangerous, I guess, on what we nowadays call the wheel route. To me, it was a screen pass in the 80s, but now it's a wheel route. But he could get outside to the sideline, and there was not a linebacker in the NFL that was going to be able to cover him. And so a lot of those receptions he had may have only been six or seven yards down the field, but then he would turn them into 20 and 25-yard gains almost consistently. Wilder's first touchdown reception was on the wheel route, and it was about a 30-yard pass down the right sideline against the Detroit Lions. Great pass from Doug Williams. And I've never seen a Buccaneer running back, even Warwick Dunn, never went as deep on a pass route as this one that Williams hit him with. And that was the amazing thing about him because, you know, he's over six foot, he's well over 200 pounds, but he just had speed. I always, I always like to compare him uh, to Eric Dickerson because I feel in this era of great running backs, you, you had Tony Dorsett, but he's kind of small. You have uh, running backs like Walter Payton who are fast, but he, you know, Walter Payton was tough. He wasn't really a physically large man. You had Earl Campbell, who could be fast, but he was worn down by Bum Phillips so quickly. If it wasn't for Eric Dickerson's 1984 season, we might look at James Wilder in the early 80s as the premier running back in the NFL, but he had two things going against him. One was just a very mediocre team that he played for. And number two, Eric Dickerson ran for over 2,100 yards that season, but I would argue that Wilder was the equal to Dickerson because Dickerson was great as long as he didn't get hit. Um, Wilder could both bull over you like Allstott, but he could also leave you behind rapidly. Um, I know we haven't gotten to the 1983 game yet, but that game against Minnesota, his touchdown run shows you what kind of wheels he had. Pitch goes to Wilder, and Wilder from Missouri is in for the touchdown. And it's got to be a pleasing moment for the second-round draft choice from Missouri, James Wilder, who scores his first NFL touchdown. On the sideline, and complete. In for a touchdown. James Wilder. Wilder took it for the touchdown. Pitch this side. It is Wilder. Touchdown. Hey, brings his student body right from USC all the way to Tampa Bay. You can see all the blockers out in front. It's number 73, Charlie Hanna, lays a big one, and Wilder dances into the end zone. In 1982, Wilder started all nine games at fullback, with James Owens and Mel Carver rotating at the tailback position. This was the first season that Wilder led the team in both rushing and receiving, and he set a Buccaneer record with 11 receptions in a game against the New York Jets. By the end of the season, you could see there was something really special about number 32, and he had a huge run in overtime in the division-clinching game against the Chicago Bears. James Wilder, big hole. Wilder, one man can get him, Smith, and he does. Terry Smith pulls him down, but at the 10-yard line. 
Because McKay, uh, in 82, they almost did running back by committee. I mean, I know it was only nine games long, um, and maybe it was because of the 57-day layoff of the strike. McKay didn't want to run one guy into the ground because he was concerned about conditioning, as many coaches in the NFL were. Uh, but by the time we get that three-game run at the end of the season, where if the Bucks lose one of those games, they're not making the postseason tournament, you do see – uh, Wilder become the lead dog, if you will, of the offense over that time, encapsulated by his great performance against the Bears in the season finale. Third and nine for Tampa Bay now. Wilder, touchdown, his second of the day. Same swing pass. Wilder, touchdown. All right. The Bucks can score inside the 10. And they ran it in. And then halfway through the 1983 season, John McKay had this great idea. Do you know what? I'm going to move Jones Wilder from fullback to tailback. And wow, did the lights go on. Well, the lights went off for about 42 times or so against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he carried the ball a tremendous amount in a, in a game that still ranks as one of the most painful defeats uh, in my mind, and I'm sure Kevin House hates that we're going to talk about this game against the Steelers. But um, soon after that, in Minnesota, we get the full potential of James Wilder, where he has a 75-yard touchdown run. And even if that football field had been like two Canadian football fields, nobody on the Vikings was going to catch James Wilder on that run. Uh, what's unfortunate is that right after that game, he suffers a horrible rib injury uh, against the Cleveland Browns at the old mistake by the lake, and it ends his season. Um, but once again, we're left thinking, oh, my goodness, we, we, have, we have a legitimate NFL running back in Tampa. Edgar Armstrong made a big block, and Wilder gets big yards and may score. May, he may, he does. From the 25-yard line, Edgar Armstrong had come in at the fullback spot, and Wilder broke loose. He was chased down the sideline. They couldn't bring him down, a 75-yard run. So in 83, even though his season was curtailed, he led the team in rushing and receiving again. And then we come to 1984. And I don't think there will ever be another offensive season like this in Buccaneer history. Well, at least not from the running back position. Um, I mean, some running backs in the modern NFL are having a bit of a renaissance, you know, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb. Um, but for the most part, you now pass to gain four yards rather than trying to run to gain four yards. So I don't think anybody's going to get the carries that James Wilder had that season. Um, definitely not the production. And once again, this is that unfortunate thing where this amazing all-around season Wilder had is overshadowed historically because of Eric Dickerson gaining 2,100 yards. Dan Marino had the 48 touchdown passes, which was a record at the time, which I think Tom Brady gets in like a quarter and a half nowadays. So for those of us who love football history, focusing on James Wilder, you see an accomplished football player, an all-around football player at the peak of his powers, rather than a specialist like Dickerson and Marino. 
So I'll give you a few stats from the 84 season. He led the team in rushing and receiving, of course. His rushing total, 1,544 yards, remains the highest in Buccaneer history. He had 407 carries, which was then an NFL record. He had 85 receptions on top of that. So his 492 combined touches remains the highest in NFL history. And the next best is 457. So he's, nearly, he's 35 touches ahead of any other player in NFL history. He had five 100-yard games. He had 10 other games over 70 yards. So only once did he gain less than 70 yards on the ground in a season. It's, it's just staggering. And just again with the Chuck Norris comparison, I mean, this is just the idea that you know James Wilder could kill two stones with one bird. I mean, he was that physically dominant that season. And he was so close to a record. And this is another reason why historically I think he gets overshadowed is because McKay tried his darndest to get him to set the yardage record at the end of the season and in the infamous Buccaneer flop against the New York Jets. And for those who aren't familiar, um, the Buccaneers are leading 41 to 14 late in the fourth quarter. And McKay actually orders his defense to fall to the ground and allow the Jets to score so that the Bucs can get the ball with time left and they can just keep feeding the ball to Wilder to try and set the record. So, you know, that might be another reason why this amazing season has been lost historically because of all the controversy around that final game of the season. Oh, and just to point out, he threw, he threw a touchdown pass to Andrew Armstrong in a game in Green Bay. So he's got one pass attempt in his NFL career, and he went for a 16-yard touchdown. This man was Superman. Oh, yeah. And just once again, if James Wilder had wanted to throw 48 touchdown passes that season, he would have thrown 48 touchdown passes that season. So, um, so naturally, of course, he went to the Pro Bowl, the first Buccaneer running back ever to go to Hawaii. And um, if we're going to steal a little bit from Bill Simmons, that that is like the apex mountain of his career. I mean, he is a uh, second team all pro, which to me is even more valuable than Pro Bowl. I think all pro really indicates uh, your level of respect around the NFL. So he's second team all pro once again, because Dickerson had that amazing uh, season and he gets to go to Hawaii and he comes back the next season. He's going to play under a new coach in Lehman Bennett, who uh, always featured a one back offense when he was in Atlanta. And so I'll admit um, because I was 14 and not quite informed yet on all of the elements of strategy, I was excited. I was just like, oh, we got a coach. He's going to just have one running back, and that running back is going to be James Wilder. Lehman Bennett's going to lead this team to the playoffs. Uh, yeah. Not so fast, my friends. <laughs> and still, James Wilder is going inside the 15. Wilder, touchdown. Not only did James Wilder pull the ball down after another misconnection between DeBerg, but he was like a locomotive from the 15-yard line in. Take another look and watch here. He almost fumbled the ball right there. Well, here he makes excellent concentration to get the ball back. And wow, look at that balance. He's stumbling. He's on one hand. He retains his balance. And boy, that James Wilder, number 32, going in for the big score. There he goes again. He may throw it. Looks for the tight end. It is touchdown Tampa Bay. Andrew Armstrong. 
One thing I remember about the 85 season is the opening game was in Chicago against the future Super Bowl champions, the great 46 defense, and Wilder had 166 yards on the ground, most of which came in the first half. And the reason I know this is this was the first game I ever got on VHS because the Bucks weren't shown very much on British TV outside of the first game I ever saw. So for many years, this was the only footage I have. So I have watched this game as many times as I've watched the Super Bowl. So I became enamoured with how good number 32 was. And he's running over Bears left and right and up the middle. And he was really something special. Yeah, and this, this is the Richard Dent, Mike Singletary, Dan Hampton, Gary Fenzik, Dave Dewerson. You know, it's a it's a who's who of the best defensive unit in possibly the history of the NFL. And Wilder is like Godzilla uh, marching through Tokyo. He is just busting tackles left and right. And he's doing this on the road and helping them to build what at the time in the 80s is almost an insurmountable lead. Once again, the, the way football has changed, you get out to a 28-17 lead in 1985, you kind of think you're going to win. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that was um, Lehman Bennett in the second half. But Wilder that year, once again, led the team in rushing and receiving. He had 13 receptions in a game against Minnesota to set a Buccaneer record. That's the one that Godwin actually broke. He had four 100-yard games in a row to start the season. That gave him six consecutively. That's a record I don't think that every Buccaneer will ever break, be broken. But by the end of the year, he's starting to get worn down because the Bucks under Lehman Bennett were, how dare I say it, terrible. And you yeah. could see that he was the only person, the defence is new, let's just focus on James Wilder. And you could see he was starting to get beaten up every week. Yeah, it, they were running um, eight and nine man fronts against him. We had Steve DeBerg, who was a solid professional. That quarterback, he would be spelled um, by uh, Steve Young at times, um, but he was not who Steve Young would become later. I'm, I'm as big a fan of the Bucks in the 80s as any person, so it hurts me to say, you know, Jimmy Giles wasn't maybe as dominant as he had been. Uh, Kevin House, Gerald Carter weren't quite as fast as they had been, so there wasn't a whole lot that would open up the defense. You know, they could just focus on James Wilder. But once again, it's testament to his ability that despite going against eight and nine man fronts, he still has over 1300 yards rushing on the season and all of those additional yards catching the ball out of the backfield. Wilder over the top, touchdown. What an effort by James Wilder, Then There was nothing there on the ground, so he literally went, took to the air. Okay, that is uh, radically different from what we heard last Sunday when uh, Brady hit Perriman for the walk-off touchdown at Rated James. <laughs> I feel like Ben Chang on Community just slow clapping. Yeah. <laughs> that was the Bucks under Lehman Bennett. So in 1986, Wilder now is the only weapon the Buccaneers have and you have no idea how bad the 86 Bucks were until you've seen the last six games of that season. Wilder only played 12 of the 16 games because of injury. He still led the team in rushing and if he hadn't missed any of those four games 
He wouldn't let a team in receptions as well. He really was the only thing the Bucks had going for them in 86. But by 87, Ray Perkins has come in, and I think he's found a broken, worn-down James Wilder. Yeah, definitely worn down. Um, he kind of suffers the same thing that happened uh, to previous big backs. You know, Earl Campbell, uh, when he fell off the cliff, he fell off the quick uh, cliff quickly. Uh, same thing happened to John Riggins. Um, once the diesel ran out of gas, he fell off a cliff quickly. I will say Wilder did not fall off the cliff quickly, but he did decelerate as he was getting towards the top of the mountain. Um, but once again, I still argue he's the greatest all-around football player in the history of the Buccaneers. And these final three seasons point out that he was more than just a running back to the team. So in 87, he still led the team in rushing and receiving. It was a strike-shortened season. So he would have had six in a row had it not been for any of those missing four games in 86. By 1988... Perkins has drafted three running backs in one go. Lars Tate, William Howard and Kerry Good. So Wilder now was really almost like an afterthought on the backfield because Perkins was very much into playing his players. And, and all, four, all three of those draft picks, I'm pretty sure, were SEC players he'd either had at Alabama or played against. So Wilder still started seven games. By 89, his final season, he's very much being used just as a spot player. He did come back. He had one great game against Cleveland, eight receptions for 107 yards and two touchdowns. But he's even playing special teams by the end of the year. And this is the uh, this is where I just keep supporting my argument. First thing about that Cleveland game, that really should have been his moment in the sun. The way he dominated that game, he was. He was, he was Michael Jordan against the Celtics in the playoffs. But those two horrible back-to-back -back interceptions by Vinny that were returned for touchdown, that's the difference in the game. James Wilder would have beaten the Browns 31-28, to but instead Cleveland wins 42-31. And one of my favorite moments that just cemented his legacy for me is a game against the Bears when they won 42-35. This is an eight-year veteran. Okay, eight-year veteran, pro bowler, was the offense. He's a legitimate NFL star. He's on the suicide squads running down on punt and kick return coverage. And he devastates the Bears returner in that game. He lays a hit on him that reverberated throughout the stadium. And, then, and in that moment, you see that James Wilder is just a football player. He's not just a running back. He is the all-time greatest Buccaneer player ever. End of discussion. <laughs> Second and goal, Tampa from the nine-yard line. Testaverde with plenty of time. Threads the needle to Wilder for the touchdown. James Wilder, known for his running, but an excellent receiver, too. In fact, Tampa's all-time number one receiver. That's his 406th career catch. Dennis Gentry on the return. And clobbered at the 40-yard line by James Wilder. So at the end of 89, um, there was a limited type of free agency called Plan B free agency, where teams could protect, I think it was about 37 players, 
everyone else was unable to move around. So Wilder was not protected. He did go on to play for Detroit. In fact, he actually had three carries against the Bucks the following year in a Sunday night game. I try not to remember him in another uniform. You know, he did also suit up briefly for Washington. So he played nine years for the Buccaneers. He played all of the 1980s. So the 80s gave us fantastic music, not so great hair. It gave us the best offensive player in Bucks history. His rushing total, 5,957 yards. That's 900 more than Michael Stott and 1,000 more than Warwick Dunn. He had 430 receptions. That is second in franchise history now to Mike Evans. That's 100 more than Mark Carrier had or Chris Godwin has. He's one of only three running backs to throw a touchdown pass, along with Louis Carter and Mike James. He's got 14 100-yard rushing games. That's the most in team history. It's no question he is the best offensive player ever for the Bucs. Yeah, and why he's not in the in, in the ring of honor is a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery to me as an idealistic Buccaneer fan. But I also understand he represents an era that most people want to forget. Um, we could even tolerate one or two seasons of losing because the Bucs had to rebuild. But nobody really wants to fondly remember that uh, those seasons of, of uh, 10 losses or more. And he is sadly the greatest player in the history of the franchise in that regard. And he toiled for a team that's just bad. In summing up, I'll go back to one of the highlight films from the Buccaneers in the 1980s. And you'll hear from Mark Champion, Lehman Bennett, Kevin House, Sean Farrell, and the legendary Lawrence Taylor. This is what they thought of James Wilder. But when it comes to setting records in a Tampa Bay uniform, one player stands alone. The guy we're honoring tonight, what can you say about number 32? I'll read a few of his statistics. 13 times in 16 games, he totaled over 100 yards rushing and receiving. 2,229 total yards, that's the third highest total in National Football League history. And all he set eight team and one National Football League record, James Wilder. Wilder's a super player. Uh from the running game and, and of course uh, also from the passing game. He comes out of the backfield and catches the ball extremely well and when he does catch it, he makes people pay for it. He has the ability to turn up and lower his shoulder and splatter those tacklers and leave them in a position where they're not really anxious to tackle him the next time. To the Buccaneers, James Wilder is Mr. Offense. And we always tease him, you know, introducing the Buccaneers offensive team, James Wilder and the rest of the Buccaneers. James Wilder joined the elite of NFL running backs in 1984 by becoming only the seventh player in history to gain over 2,000 total yards in a single season while earning his first trip to the Pro Bowl. His talents aren't limited to carrying the ball as players who have felt his crunching blocks can attest. And against Green Bay, his first pro pass went for a touchdown. First of all, you'd have to see the guy without his shirt on just to believe that anybody could be built like that. He, he looks like he's cut in stone. He's just unbelievable. Yeah, he's left an impression on a lot of people. 
most of his cleats. But he's a tremendous big back. He runs hard, but he's a guy that's going to run the, the 6, the 8, the 12 yards every time he gets the ball. And he's going to hurt you when he when he runs. He's going to run it 40 times a game, and you're going to have to hit him every time he gets the ball like you hit him the first time. Or if you don't, he'll hurt you. Then I think hopefully that this podcast and what we do through buckpower.com will hopefully let every Buccaneer fan know and hopefully all the people that make decisions at one Buccaneer place that James Wilder needs to be in the ring of honour. They took a name down that had six letters in it. Wilder's got six letters in it. It would fit perfectly. Nostalgia is is uh, always a dangerous thing. And as uh, as historians and as fans, you and I walk that fine line between pretending that everything that was in the past was better. And, and it wasn't. I mean, the Buccaneers now are infinitely better. They're, they're better run. They're more exciting. Um, they have a greater national impact than they ever did when you and I were kids. But having said that, James Wilder is a timeless figure in football. If you had put James Wilder on the 1922 Canton Bulldogs, he would have been amazing. If you put James Wilder in the backfield today with Brady, people would just fall down on their knees in wonder at what he's able to do. Um, I, I love and respect playoff Lenny, but playoff James would just have people going crazy right now. He's just a timeless player and he needs to be recognized for that. I, I will sum up how I feel about this as we approach the festive season. I believe James Wilder belongs in the ring of honor even more than I believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That is amazing praise, uh, considering your love of all things Nakatomi Plaza. Dennis, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast. Hopefully, James will mention us when he makes his speech at Raymond James Stadium next year. You've been great. Enjoy Banana Rama. Thank you, sir. You've been great. Enjoy First National Band. And I advise everyone listening to go and look up the reference to that band. The BuckPower.com podcast will be back in the new year with the usual features on famous games in club history. And we've got some real classics lined up for you. For now, my thanks to Dennis Crawford for helping me sing the praises of the greatest running back in Buccaneer history. And my thanks, of course, to TJ Reeves, the executive producer of this series, and to Al Needham for his guidance and advice. I would like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, wherever you are listening around the world. Oh, my God.